0: Molten Salad, Season 1, Episode 3. Welcome to the Molten Salad Podcast. Thanks for joining. I'm James. We're ordinary Americans, living the right way, doing the right thing, but 2020 has turned our world upside down. Toxic dualism is filling the air, and we're caught right in the middle, but there's got to be a way out somehow. I'm a lawyer, so people see me as an intellectual handyman. What can I do to help? Join me as I talk to my friends and learn from them as I explore a third way out, If I have to lose my pride or be open-minded when I wasn't before, then so be it. This is our society, and this is our time to do something positive. We hope to start small and end big. This is the Molten Salad Podcast. We continue our conversation with John Lee. We discuss how the COVID crisis could lead to permanent fixtures in our society. Will the mask become a permanent fixture? But that's not all. Is it time for universal single payer healthcare to become a permanent fixture in America. This is a challenging talk and I hope you enjoy it. John, thank you for coming on again.
1: Thank you, James. I, uh, I, I need to be the one thanking you, so I appreciate it.
0: John, there's a lot of talk on recently about uh, basically the mask being the new seatbelt. Is the mask the new seatbelt? Is, is the mask a, gonna be a permanent fixture in our society to ensure the safety of people? And let me give you some context. You know, it was only a few decades ago where mandatory seatbelt laws were considered too extreme. In which the and the wearing of seatbelts, you know, seatbelts were considered too uncomfortable to wear. Why need them? You know, it's not going to happen to me. Also, if you think about uh, 9/11 and how it has created permanent fixtures in our society, such as the Patriot Act, uh, increased TSA screenings at airports. Those were met with heavy opposition when they were first launched, but now we accept them as fixtures in our society to keep air travel safe. And they've done a very good job so far. John, do you see the mask as the new seatbelt, something permanent, a permanent part of a culture uh, to keep us safer? That's a good question,
1: James. Uh, It brings to mind... What Benjamin Franklin said, which was anybody that is willing to give up their rights for national security don't deserve either. But I, I would, I think that was a time, Benjamin Franklin's time, that made a lot of sense because of the protesting against a colonizer, which was Britain, and wanting to create the Bill of Rights to ensure that we have our freedom. However, th- this disease is an existential threat to society. It has the ability to kill every single person on this planet, not just the old, not just the young, not just the sick. You could be a perfectly healthy 18-year-old, contract the disease and die. So when there, it is not merely a threat of it, one group versus the other, but it's a threat of the entire existence of mankind... I think things need to be reevaluated.
0: Now so, some people would say that, that you're exaggerating the threat that the death rate among healthy eighteen year olds, for example, who don't have underlying diseases is very, very low. And in that case, they people would say that no, it's not the virus that's the threat. It's the, the today's government that is in effect the colonizer. Um, what do you what do you have to say about that? Some people
1: will always, to win an argument, they will always change who the true bad guy is. So instead of blaming the virus, they're going to say, oh, it's the people that are trying to control this virus, which is the government. But people are making statements without any fact supporting it. For example, there's, yes, you're right younger healthier people have the ability to survive a a higher a much higher percentage of survival but there's two things that we haven't seen the first thing is there are people that are young that are dying from this and they're asking why well it's because this disease affects people differently and the second thing is we have a disease that doesn't discriminate it can affect anybody at any time, and we don't know what the long-term effects are yet.
0: Right, and we don't know who it's going to affect. In a way, it is much like car accidents. Car accidents affect the young and the old and the sick, men and women. Um, They affect different people in different ways. Some are, some came out, some come out unscathed, some come out seriously injured and some lose their lives. And uh, we don't know who the next car accident is going to affect. And that's why the law on seat belts is universal. Uh, yes, yes. So
1: when it comes to the mask, yes, at first there's going to be discomfort and there's going to be uh, frustration to use it. But when you see videos of people who are saying, it's my federal right to not wear a mask, well, then they're just putting a bunch of other people at risk. So if someone were to have HIV, no one has HIV, and knowingly going out there and having unprotected sex, should that person be punished?
0: But do we mandate condom use,
1: or do, uh, for someone with a disease? And the laws of every single state of the United States agrees that it is a crime.
0: Well, I mean, John, we're uh, I think we're getting uh, pretty graphic and uh, pretty funny because now we're uh, equating the mask to the condom. But uh, last time I checked, there were no uh, laws mandating condom use and you know there, there too with the, uh, sexually transmitted diseases you know we can say that they affect everyone we don't know who they're going to affect we don't know who they're going to affect next so maybe the use of protection there should be universal is is there an analogy there well yeah
1: not when it comes to sex Is not a direct analogy because when it comes to sex you have a another choice which is abstaining
0: mm-hmm.
1: so in <laughs> In this disease, you don't, have that, uh, you don't have that ability. You can't just hold your breath, right? So this mask, it is a proper uh, tool to decrease the likelihood of spreading this disease. Now, I understand that the virus is smaller than the holes in these masks, which allows us to breathe. And a lot of these masks, uh, especially the surgical masks, are used merely to stop blood from uh, uh, entering your mouth, like as in during surgery. That's why they're called surgical masks. And right. they weren't designed for viruses to, to go through. However, someone wearing a mask versus someone not wearing a mask, there needs to be a study done of like how, if, how much does a coronavirus really get spread whether or not you use a mask or not now if they find out that well, it's exactly the same, then there's really no point in us using a mask, and maybe we should look into therapeutic ways. Maybe we need to all take colloidal silver with vitamin uh, D and B, and a right, healthy right. bunch of vitamin C. I I, I don't know.
0: Right, but that, until right. Not- this this whole thing needs to be this whole thing needs to be data driven, and as we learn more. We, need, we definitely need to adjust the policy. Because yes, if, if it's proven that masks you know, don't make that much of a difference after all, um, I, know, I know currently most people are insisting that they do, but eventually if it becomes proven that they don't make much of a difference, then yes, we're being foolish to continue requiring masks. And, and then and at that point, it just becomes you know, tyranny. Yeah, we, have
1: we have to base our decisions on, on a set of facts we can't just sit there and conjure up stories and, and keep on repeating until everyone believes it.
0: Right. We, we have... Which is what seems to be being done uh, when it comes to what businesses to open and close. That, that too needs to be data-driven also.
1: Uh, I absolutely agree with that. Or even for the search of a vaccine. Right. We're, we're making decisions such as buying, uh, a bunch of appeject, which is like a, a an injection with an RFID chip on it, and we're planning to fill it with a vaccine. So we already bought the the injection items, but we didn't even create a vaccine yet. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I have no idea who's making these decisions, and and why is that even considered intelligible?
0: Right. But for now, for for now, it seems like the data supports wearing masks, and uh, like we said earlier, you know, with the, the need to sacrifice some of our rights for the greater good so that society is not hurt as much in the long run, I think uh, that everything is leaning toward you know, the masks being a fixture in our society for now.
1: I, 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 I agree, uh, uh, James. There, there are a lot of, if we want a population that has, feels that there's a future, Uh, feels that there's still hope and no despair or less despair, people that want to survive, it's going to really start with strong leadership made based on decisions that are logical and scientific versus saying that we have a bunch of civil rights and liberties that we need to uphold. Meanwhile, everyone's dying. And then there's no no reason, if if there's no people on this earth, I guess there's really no reason to have civil liberties anymore, is there?
0: Right. And it's it's not enough to just, you know, hold that as a mantra uh, without any wisdom behind it, much less uh, a lack of um, data behind that. Like like
1: I have a question. Like who, who's the one setting the priorities here? Who who who's the ones that who are the people here that are making these, these decisions and based on what matrix are they making this decision? I, I would like to know the answer because then I would know the person that I can go talk to about these issues.
0: Right. Are you saying that uh, there are protected people that you know, are, we, are, we, are we fueling these decisions? Um, you know, are we uh, fueling uh, conspiracy theories about a shadow government here?
1: Well, uh, not necessarily, but it gives a cause for it. So, so, for example, if we can't figure out why the government is making certain decisions, the first thing we're going to assume is, well, the government's not stupid, so that means they must be doing things on purpose. And if you are doing things on purpose that are illogical, it must be because there's another reason that is hidden or an ulterior motive behind what's really going on. And then that right, just leads, it feels more and more conspiracies, but in actuality, it was just a stupid person making a decision.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is pretty sad to say. Yeah. Well, going back to um, the Patriot Act, another early crisis was the Great Depression. And uh, as we know, the Great Depression... Led to many new fixtures um, that we call the New Deal. Many of those programs still exist to this day, and also with the Patriot Act, uh, which is also a permanent fixture. Um, but even with permanent fixtures, they do get adjusted, don't they? You know, as as we as the severity of the crisis you know goes down, as our needs change, as new data about our economy and society and our health uh, gets discovered these programs get adjusted, don't they? I mean, with, with, for example, yeah, we had increased screenings at airports, but now we also have the, the uh, expedited check-in uh, that you can apply for it uh, with the TSA as long as you're willing to give some of your information. Uh, yes. so, yeah, so I, I think uh, it's fair to say that this mask policy will get uh, adjusted in the future. Uh, what do you think?
1: Well, the, the mask policy is, is probably the least of our worries. I I think the worry here is if we find out, I I think what has been truly exposed is the weakness of the American healthcare system. And I think that's continually gonna be exposed if these people that have gotten the COVID virus, they do not end up dying, but they survive, but they survive in a disabled state. I think that's going to increase the cost of healthcare drastically and people are not going to have a solution. So again, it's going to go to the rich people having resources, being able to cure or live with disease and being quite normal uh, living, but all the poor people who can't afford this and the government is unwilling to pay for it. Then you're going to have a bunch of people that are sick and filling the hospitals and needing prescription medicines. and. Not even to to, to pay for it. This is going to lead to a lot of social unrest. It's going to lead
0: to a lot of a lot more protests. John, um, one big policy that I historically have not been warm to, but now I am starting to warm up to, is universal health care, government health care. Well, um, John, well, yeah. do you, John does. Does the has the coronavirus exposed our need for universal healthcare?
1: Well, J- James, again, you, you you know you're just you just said directly what I was trying to say in a roundabout way, which is the permanent fixture that you're asking about is going to be some form of universal healthcare, and it's time, it's time for it. We we are going to have so many issues with disease. This coronavirus can potentially mutate unlimited amount of times. And it might, we might need a panel of drugs or every time it switches or it mutates, we need a new type of drug. And there's no way that as individuals we'll be able to pay for this. Managed care, healthcare, with people with preexisting conditions, it's gonna reach a point where it's unsustainable, but that doesn't mean that we implement when people think of government benefits and programs, they think of inefficient systems. They think of,
0: of government a, laziness, a, high taxes,
1: red tape, bureaucracy. Right. It, it doesn't it, it doesn't have to be implemented that way. I, I, I think a case in point would be when uh, Mr. Michael Bloomberg turned New York City around. New York City being the largest country in the United States. Right, before
0: city of the United States.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, before Mr. Bloomberg came to town, uh, people had no pride working for it. They they thought that it would always be a massive failure. You dial nine one one and and you get a voicemail system, <laughs> but it, that has changed completely. Now the people of New York have so much pride working for the 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 city of New York.
0: I think it, it shows love- that. I think it shows that even. In a government employer, it's possible to change the work culture. Uh, Absolutely.
1: So when people think of healthcare, like, oh, no, we're going to have a bunch of government doctors (laughs) that are Mm -hmm. lazy and they're just going to let us die. Uh, Just kind of like how people think of uh, public defenders. Uh, uh, Oh, you can't afford a a lawyer to represent you. We're going to assign a guy that barely passed the bar exam to represent you, which is absolutely untrue.
0: Oh, well, I can tell you that's absolutely false. Having been one myself, um, (laughs) we we are (laughs) public defenders are, are fueled by their passion and yes, they might be underpaid, but they take on the responsibility. Uh, they do not want to ruin it for their clients because they know that there's jail involved. Um, it can, this this is the same system, John, this is the same system that is, that is working for uh, Western Europe and East Asia, you know, uh, the doctors there are being you know, funded by government, but it doesn't stop their, their passion from wanting to do the right thing for the, for the best of their patients. I,
1: I, I think that doctors should not be incentivized, uh, as they are in America, to practice medicine. I don't feel that it is right that you can have doctors making millions and millions of dollars based on how good they are at billing insurance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think there's a conflict of interest there. Yeah, and I think when you have a government system that standardizes pay across all sectors, then you're going to attract the people that really just want to do it for the passion, just like the public defenders. Mm-hmm. And these people are the ones that are going to be the best people to manage people's health care versus a doctor who hires 20 people to focus on billing.
0: I've seen public defenders win murder cases, get acquittals for their clients. I believe it was either uh, the book Outliers or Economics* that showed that public defenders pretty much get the same outcomes for their clients as privately paid defense attorneys. Um, I don't see why there would be a disparity uh, between government doctors and uh, private sector doctors if we focus on this problem. John, I'm starting to firmly believe that this, this is one of the major lessons that we need to learn from this pandemic healthcare costs are a major cause of poverty. They are a major reason why people can't afford rent and get evicted, uh, contributing to the homeless problem in America. Something needs to be done about it. Otherwise we're gonna continue to have these, um, these, these racial and economic unrests uh, that we're seeing today uh, in the wake of George Floyd.
1: The poor of society, which is most of the population of the United States or the most of any country really are the ones that are bearing the brunt of any type of economic pressure they're the first ones so in a pandemic the ones that work at restaurants survive on minimum wage and tips they're the ones that are going to get affected the most
0: work in manufacturing meatpacking, agriculture
1: right these people are going to be the ones that are affected uh uh, the most and these people are the ones that are being asked to put their livelihood aside Mm -hmm. and yet there's no recourse for them. So you're going to give them unemployment? That doesn't last forever. But yet they still have to pay these bills, these insurance bills. And what you're going to have eventually is a bunch of really frustrated poor people, and a lot of them. And they're not going to have a choice but to go out and protest another French revolution, let's say, but in the United States. And to overthrow the establishment and to try to implement self-governing which is what we saw in in washington in seattle with in chaz. chaz
0: right well i don't and, know and, you how. know chaz chaz didn't end up well yes it was ironic that chaz also needed a wall and weapons uh to defend itself it was ironic that they couldn't govern themselves well and there was rape and murder Uh, in CHAZ. However, it does show that when people feel disgruntled with the economic system, when enough people feel like no matter what they do, they can't lift themselves up out of poverty, this is going to keep happening more and more.
1: I I would like to say that CHAZ is is a social experiment that has the potential of spreading across the United States. I think that they understood where they failed and that they're going to be able to rebuild it. All they're missing is a little bit of funding, and they'll be able to potentially spread and grow across the United States. It's a very dangerous concept, but it's very attractive at
0: the same time. What is the, uh, the policy of CHAZ that is most attractive to people?
1: Well, there's, there's an injustice that's going on. That's what these people believe, that there's an injustice in, inherent in the government system, in the policing and enforcement uh, side of uh, the law. And these people are at the bottom of society who have no future because of a boogeyman.
0: Does chess promise a better future?
1: No, but it promises the ability to make your own decision and to live and die by it. And that's what's truly attractive to these people. It's not because they'll be able to survive any longer. It's not because they, they're going to have a better quality of life.
0: It's simply the fact that they are able to be heard that they have a voice in the matter, that they're being represented. It's because they
1: feel that they have a say in their own futures. And that, that future may be, yes, death, but at least I chose to die mm-hmm. instead of someone else doing it for me, especially someone who doesn't care, or doesn't know I exist, uh, someone that is worried about something else that has nothing to do with me.
0: John, uh, going back to the universal health care issue, we're getting a lot of uh, pushback from religious groups um, because of their concerns that universal health care would cover abortions. For the Catholic Church, for example, um, you can't underestimate how egregious abortion is to them. They correctly say that abortion is the number one killer in the U.S., far more than anything else, far more than any type of accident or disease. About 65 million babies, if I remember correctly, have been killed uh, since Roe versus Wade, uh, so they would say, "Well, that's not really health care if uh, universal health care covers abortions." John, is it time to compromise on this issue?
1: Well, there's there's the court of law, right? There's if if you want to fight these battles, there's a proper platform. I mean, proper venue for that, which is the courts.
0: Yeah, but are we really going to be able to reverse Roe versus Wade, which the Catholics are hoping to do, but realistically? Um, I don't think uh, you or I, as lawyers, uh, believe that's in the horizon.
1: Well, we have uh, five conservatives on the on the Supreme Court right now, but yet they're not upholding their conservative side, which is uh, promises, which are to repeal these laws.
0: Correct. Yeah, with, with Chief Justice John Roberts, he's become the new swing vote, the new Kennedy, the new O'Connor,
1: and therefore it's it's. It's not likely. So, but if if abortion is the issue, I, I I don't see why that would stop a a single payer healthcare system being implemented. I I don't see the the connector unless people are saying that because religious people are saying because there's abortion, I'm not going to partake of it. And uh, if that's true, well, I mean, you made your decision, and no one says that you have to live in America.
0: Yeah, I guess. We're, we're kind of at a roadblock uh, with, with the abortion issue. I think uh, with the abortion issue, it might be time for activists to go back to the grassroots and, and be much more participatory, uh, like with the approach to COVID, grassroots solutions that provide resources to uh, women that are in need and uh, fearful of their pregnancy, uh, rather than, like you said last time, a top-down approach that uh, bans it all today perhaps a more grassroots participatory approaches is, is a it's time for that instead.
1: Yes. I mean, the, the federal government can put out guidelines for every state to follow every local government to follow after that. And you could have people voting or putting people into power that keeps them honest about implementing this program, whether it's abortion or any other issue, stem cells, what, whatever the controversial issue is at the time. But what we can't have, and I, what I believe we can't have, is we can't have a system that doesn't care for its citizens. And the pandemic has really exposed that to, uh, has brought that to the forefront. And I think we're going to see impacts, direct impacts from this disease over many, many years. We, we have no idea what the next flu season is going to look like with this pandemic, with coronavirus in the background, plus another strong influenza on top of that. We don't know what the impact is. Are, are the people that are asymptomatic, asymptomatic carriers, Are they when the next flu hits, is it, are, there, are their lungs going to be hit harder than people that are not carriers of the disease? I don't know. Uh, I can't imagine your body being the same with the disease as before having, not having the disease. I just can't imagine seeing that. So I see an overwhelming of the hospitals. I see a lot of people taking more time off of work.
0: There's a lot of... The, the, the potential impact across the board in our society would be when you actually calculate it is, is so great that uh, push is going to have to come to shove, is what you're saying.
1: Exactly. And then we're going to have to prioritize things. So do we create a healthcare system? Just like you said, do we have? Do we implement a PATRIOT Act, which at the beginning of implementation was quite annoying and frustrating, but now people are used to it and it adjusts? Or do we just ignore the problem and throw it on the rug and pretend it doesn't exist?
0: And if we pretend it doesn't exist, I'm afraid the problem will keep reappearing.
1: It's going to snowball. It's going to reappear. And and it, I think people are not thinking right now because they're in such a state of fear and despair that the government, even people in government, feel this way. So it's more of like a wait-and-see approach to things versus saying, hey, this is the new reality that we have, and this is how we're going to face it. We even hear there's reports sort where, of, President Trump saying that COVID-19 would suddenly just disappear. I find that foolish.
0: Well, I don't think viruses uh, flat out disappear. That's not supported by science either. HIV is still around. Right. So cold, flu, you name, you name the virus, it's still around.
1: Right. The difference with SARS, the first time, the reason why that disappears is because people will just die. But this disease is far different. Uh, you could carry the disease for 10 days and not even know it and be spreading it the whole time.
0: Well, COVID is SARS-2. It has SARS in
1: the name. Right. Uh, SARS-1 was you get it, you die. or <laughs> You get it, you get so sick that you have to go to the hospital so you're basically quarantined. But in, in this case, it has to be self-quarantined because you don't get sick enough for you to want to go to the doctors until it's probably almost too late.
0: Yeah. Well, John, I do think that... Uh, the COVID and George Floyd crises have uh, really forced us to examine what it really means, uh, not only to take care of our society, but to, to love our fellow people. John, thanks again for uh, talking to me, and uh, I look forward to talking again soon. All right, my friend. Thank you for the night. We'll talk soon.